Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. This is the Soho Radio Podcast, showcasing some of the best broadcasts from our online radio station, right from the heart of Soho, London. Across our music and culture channels, we have a wide range of shows covering every genre, along with chat shows, discussions and special broadcasts. Here is just one of our recent shows. To catch the full show, head to our Mixcloud page or listen live at SohoRadioLondon.com. What's up, everybody? This is Alex. And my name's Nick. You're listening to The Thread with Hennessy on SohoRadioLondon.com. Soho Radio, you're still here with Nick and Alex. It's The Thread Show, and this is a ground-up music special uh, in preparation for our special guest coming on shortly, Mr. Michael League, the founder, the architect of the whole Snarky Puppy ground-up movement. You heard Molino Moreno featuring the great virtuoso Charlie Hunter, seven-string guitarist, who has to be seen to be believed. He plays the bass and the guitar at the same time. time. Yeah, and and Yeah. Sorry, I just want to um, say the reason I put that in there is because I'm. I would say I'm his biggest fan, but I, like everybody is is a big fan of his. Who, um, and if you go to his Instagram page, he's doing all these like split screen live things from from confinement. Yeah, he's with, doing he's doing great stuff online, isn't he? Since lockdown, he did one with John Mayer today. Yeah, did you see John, that? Yeah, and he's doing stuff with Kurt, Kurt Ellings. Kurt yeah. Elling, uh, like yeah. loads of loads of people, and he's doing these things on on Zoom where he'll he'll just send he'll he'll post make a post and say DM me if you want to come on uh, a Zoom chat all things guitar and yeah. I, sure so I did it once and I went on there and there's like a hundred people in there and sure enough there's some really heavy cats in there like Bob Lanzetti and all these stuff and and yeah. people are people are just sending you know questions what do you think about this and he's sitting there playing he's reading out questions and, and answering them yeah. the guy's yeah, a yeah. G. He's a total G and yeah, I mean, we we were lucky enough to catch up with him when he was last at Ronnie's and he's just one of those people you can, you feel like there's absolutely no side to him whatsoever. You you just start talking to him. He's like just a regular guy, you know, he's, he's not putting himself on any pedestal. You don't, I don't know. It's, it's an absolute pleasure to talk to him. Um, just sort of shoot the breeze. I think you just, you just put an idea in my head. I think, I think we're going to try to get him on, aren't we? I've said it now. Well, if we do, I think that that has to be a video thing. Yes, doesn't it? Yes, yes. Definitely. I think it would be a wasted opportunity to have yes. Charlie as as much as he's a great raconteur. I think we need to see him. We need to show people this guy's playing because <laughs> it's quite something. It doesn't make sense. Yep, yep. yep. Um, and then just a quick one before that, you heard Bill Lawrence with Hal, uh, another Snarky Puppy regular and the UK member of the band, in fact. Uh, love that different different flavor, sort of classical solely flavor. Mm. Uh, it was Bacante with Nutut Seyon, uh, Michael League's 
uh, other main project actually. So looking forward to getting into that. And um, and yeah, right. You listen to the thread uh, on Soho Radio with Hennessy, um, Alex, and the co-host is Nick. Our special guest has beamed in uh, via software on computer. Please help me welcome Michael League of Snarky Puppy and Ground Up Records. Uh. <laughs> Get off the stage and Bocanti and, and, and many, 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 many other things. Um, I just wanted to start by saying I feel um, I feel like I've I've got to witness such a Nick and I were talking before he came on. I think between us we've been at like every snarky gig that's ever come to London. But I feel I'm very I feel sorry really about can, that. Yeah, <laughs> well, we get paid. Um, so. Oh yeah, I feel less sorry about that. <laughs> But I mean, I remember the first time you guys came over um, when Atar brought you over and you were doing those master classes, and I was at those, and you played a pub and you played cargo, and it was like it was such a community feel. And uh, I think everybody who was at those classes and those shows uh, felt that this wasn't a band that was going to go away. But I don't think any of us uh, expected for it to blossom the way it, it did into into all that it has. So it's just it's for me. I just wanted to say before we get into a conversation, it's been a beautiful thing to witness uh, the whole time. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's been a it's been a very weird and unexpected and uh, roller coaster ride, but it's yeah. I mean, you know, definitely don't regret any of it except for the nine thousand bad decisions I made. Ah. <laughs> well, see that see that that's that's a cool intro to because I w- I wanted to talk to you about um, you say nine thousand mistakes. One of the things I wanted to talk to you about is is just kind of persistence um, in the journey because this is a band that it started just at school, like a lot of bands do. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. In 2003 or four. Yeah. A long time ago in, in Texas, we were just university students at a jazz school in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. So when you say I made 9,000 mistakes, I mean, um, are you a guy that's, that wrote on a piece of paper that says in 10 years, I'm going to have a record label and a music festival and we're going to have all these albums out or um, did you just let kind of go with the flow? <laughs> Um, you know, that's an interesting question because I I feel like it's one of those things that I, I never expected any degree of success, um, for the, uh, for this band. And I was proved right for about nine straight years. Um, (laughs) but, but it's funny because although I didn't expect that we would have success, I always like planned for it in a way. Do you know what I mean? Like I, I, like I made decisions as if we were going to have success, even though if somebody would have said, you have to bet all your money on success or no success, I would have put every last cent on no success. But, you know, I I feel like, I mean, it's just, it's just the way that you should do anything, right? I mean, because you never know when you pick up a guitar for the first time, if you're going to be the next Jimi Hendrix or like a lawyer who plays for fun on Saturdays for his, you know, suffering children. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I, I think you just kind of have to, um, you know, plan for the plan for the worst, expect the best. I don't know if that's the right, that's not the right expression to apply to this situation, <laughs> but you know, just like you have to like, you know, you have to, you have to um, organize things and proceed forward in a way that projects, I think, you know, confidence and, and, um, not falsely, just like, you know, let's do this right. Let's get this done. Let's make this song cool. Let's make this gig fun. Let's blah, 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 blah. Uh, you know, what if Herbie Hancock shows up to the gig? You know what I mean? We, you want to be ready, right? Um, 
And, uh, but I, I, especially when I started it, I mean, 2004, I mean, if you look at just for fun right now, look at the acts that were playing the 20 biggest jazz festivals in the world in 2004, there were not a lot of large ensemble electric crossover uh-huh. bands. You uh-huh. know what I mean? We, most festivals were completely allergic to Snarky Puppy and, and jazz clubs said we were too loud and rock clubs said we weren't loud enough. And we were in this really unwanted middle ground, you know, but things started to change after a decade. So it was fine. A decade's a decade's a long time though, isn't it? What, what, what kept the, what kept the fire going during those, those difficult times must've been difficult. Yeah. I would say little victories, you know, just like, yeah. You know, I, I think the, the the cool thing about Snarky Puppy is that no one who has ever joined the band has done it for fame or money because there is none. <laughs> um, but <laughs> yes. you know, it, it, it's it, everyone who has been a part of this organization from top to bottom has done it because they believe in art and they believe in creativity. And, you know, that's not to say that we make good music. I don't know if we make good music. You know, I'm 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 a part of the band, so I have no clue. But I, I, I can say with 100% certainty that everyone who is a part of the band um, loves and believes in music and believes that what we do as a group has some kind of meaning and some kind of, of resonance. And at the very least, it's a challenging um, forum for, for them uh, to really express themselves without someone kind of slapping them on the wrist for taking anything too far or not far enough. I mean, it's it's interesting you, you, when you say everybody knows they're a part of something special. One of the things I wanted to talk to you about is, you know, what I said at the at the top of the interview is like when I was at those master classes in that first gig, you could feel that you were part of something special. And what I noticed is, um, there's there's always um kind of like a spreading of the gospel, if you will. You know, there's there's always master classes and there's always reaching out to music schools when you're on tour and things like that. Um. I find that really, um, really important, and it's almost like a, a folkloric approach. You know, it's it, it's. I'm wondering if that has a big part of it uh, for the people in the collective, in the band, if if they're if they're as passionate about it as you are, or has that always been a part of the ethos? You know, when we tour, we're going to reach out to the youth in in cities and and give educational courses. When we started, it was done out of necessity. It was that, you know, our first tour, we were averaging like $150 a show, you know, for the whole band, you know, not like before van rental costs and gasoline and food. I mean, it was just like we'd play in a bar and they'd give us 200 bucks. And, you know, um, and if we could play, you know, a clinic at a local kind of not very reputable university because <laughs> Berkeley was definitely not, you know, recruiting us in 2005. Um, you know, if we could play a clinic and make another 250 bucks, we've doubled or tripled our daily earnings. Yeah. So yeah. Our, our, our impulse to teach in the beginning, I wouldn't say was like, you know, a hundred percent kind of like philanthropic, you know, it wasn't like, uh-huh. we want to better the community. It was like, we need to make money and survive. And this group of people knows how to teach, you know, even if we'd maybe rather not, you know, we'd rather like spend the day, you know, enjoying new Orleans or Atlanta or whatever, you know, yeah. let's do it. Let's set up all of our stuff and tear it down and then set it all up again and, you know, yeah. play a gig and tear it down again. But yeah. what happened is that, um, after doing it a lot, 
we were like, this is fun. <laughs> and we're like, and we are like kind of good at this. Like the people in this band really do know how to teach. And so then it started becoming just like, a, oh, this is a blast, you know? And then it started becoming a thing of like, wow, this is genuinely kind of helping some people, mm. you know, especially people that were experiencing the same thing that we were in school. The majority of us like being in this jazz university and like, you know, having desires, musical desires outside of the world of bebop, you know, or, or hard bop or whatever. Yes. And so there were a lot of students in these schools that were looking at us and going like, wow, these people can play Donna Lee, but they're choosing to play some other stuff. And that's speaking to me more maybe. Um, and, and, uh, so I, I feel like at a certain point that really became what teaching was about is like, you're in jazz school. You need to learn jazz. Absolutely. Learn the tradition, practice your butt off all day, but we're not, you know, we're not sentenced to just become B grade replicas of the greats of the first or second half of the 20th century. Like we can do our own thing with this tradition and with this knowledge. And ironically, that's actually the jazz tradition. Yes. (laughs) Representation of now. Yeah. Yeah. It's like every, you know, and, and not even just the jazz tradition. I mean, you both asked me for a playlist. Uh, before this interview, and I, I sent you you both a bunch of stuff, and a lot of it's folkloric music because that's you know we'll probably end up talking about that, but that's what I'm I'm most into right now. But even if you think about folkloric music, like I'll think about the oldest genre of folkloric music I can I I know of, and I'm sure there are older ones, but Ganawa music, right? From first from kind of West and Central Africa, and then and then moved to North Africa through slavery. This genre has been around for thousands of years, you know, I believe, you know, and um, every single thing that you could identify as, as like a, a, a fundamental core element of the genre at one point was not there. You know, now all the songs have a religious tint, a Muslim tint, but they, you know, these, this group of people was enslaved by Muslims and their music was existing before Islam. They had even heard of Islam. So it's just, I think it's important for us to remember as musicians, you know, to take kind of a two pronged approach to learning things, to really learn the tradition of something and really know where something has come from. Don't use innovation as an excuse to be ignorant, you know? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's that's quite a, that's quite an important quote. Oh, I'm sure I stole it from someone smarter. Yeah. That's a big (laughs) sentence. I I really like that. (laughs) Oh, cool. Yeah. You know, but not, you know, not, you know, definitely learn your stuff. But at the same time, recognize that every single kind of etched in stone, you know, traditional thing that exists in a genre of music was a revolution at one point. Mm-hmm. And that, yeah. you know, in order for genres to live, they, they need to keep experiencing revolutions. And, and um, but those revolutions are generally like real revolutions. They're they're you know, they're better done when the person running it knows history. You know what I mean? And so I, I think that's our responsibility as musicians in general when we're learning anything, you know, to, to, to learn the tradition and the history and do your thing with it because we all have our own fingerprints. Amen to that. I think um, that would actually be a good time to uh, hear one of the tracks that you've chosen. Um, the one that I, uh, one of the ones that I particularly loved was one by Karim Ziad. I don't know if I've said that correctly. Yeah, Karim um, Ziad, yeah. Yeah, would you, would you like to say why you chose this one? Yeah, so um, going to Morocco for the first time and and 
checking out Ganawa music, which is like the, the folkloric um, Sufi sacred trance and healing music um, yeah. of, of Morocco. Um, you know, it, it was a very formative experience for me. I've had that experience in several countries, definitely in Turkey, definitely yes. in Brazil, definitely mm -hmm. in Cuba. Um, there was something about Morocco that like, it was, I don't know, everything, everything about that place was just like very much um, resonating with me. And, and uh, so since then I've been studying Ganawa music and learning Gimbri, which is like this three stringed bass lute, which is the ancestor of the instrument that I play, right? The electric bass um and and crackab which are the metal castanets um and we were invited to go play at the ganawa uh festival in esoera which is the home of ganawa music in morocco and it's this festival is so deep they they hook you up as the guest band they hook you up with an established traditional ganawa group and wow. you have to create a set over the course of a week fusing ganawa music with your own music Oh. Um, so we did these versions of snarky puppy tunes, you know, we would be like inserting these mellet snarky puppy melodies into these 400 year old Ganawa tunes or whatever, you know, uh, it was a super cool experience. And the musical director was a guy named Kareem Ziad, who's Algerian, um, which, you know, in Algeria shares, uh, a lot, uh, culturally and musically with Morocco and Kareem, you know, is a master of this Ganawa tradition, but he's very much like a forward thinking musician, um, primarily a percussionist, but he sings and plays Gimbri and all these other things. So he made this record called Ifrikia, I think is how you say it. And it's, um, it's, uh, it's basically like Moroccan, largely Ganawa music, but with massively revamped with like, you know, super modern arrangements and sounds and elements. And, uh, you know, he's one of those people that is, as, as we were talking about earlier, kind of pushing a very old boulder very far forward. Great. Okay, that was Sandia by Karim Ziad, Michael's uh, first choice, uh, while we've got him here still with us. And Michael, I get the impression it's it's very important for you to immerse yourself in these new musical experiences. We had uh, your bandmates, uh, Spart and Nate, on the show a few months ago, and they were talking about how um, uh, you were currently in Turkey learning a new instrument. We're like, what? My God, mm. he really throws himself in the deep end here. Do you want to talk a little bit about how important that is for you to, to you know, constantly uh, be trying new things. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, most musicians would tell you that they're students first, you know, uh, and unfortunately, because I was, you know, using every <laughs> second and dollar of, of my resources um, to try to make Snarky Puppy not drown in the water over the last, you know, well now 16 years, but especially during the first kind of 10 to 12, I, I really wasn't practicing a lot. Yeah, I was, definitely, yeah. I was definitely learning a lot because being on tour, playing every night, going to hear great musicians play at festivals that you're, you know, also playing at, you know, you grow a lot and you learn a lot, 
but you 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 lose the kind of study that that you're accustomed to in university, like 10 hours a day in a practice room, transcribing this kind yes. of thing, you know, you're, you're practice, you start developing different practice muscles. And I was just like three or four years ago, I was just starving for like, you know, I had built up all this inspiration from seeing all these incredible musicians around the world playing all these different genres of music on these different instruments. But I didn't have any opportunity to like create an outlet for that inspiration other than using that influencing composition for Snarky Puppy or Bocante. And so about three years ago, um, I believe it was maybe four, I, uh, after, after playing a gig in Turkey and inviting this Kurdish frame drum ensemble to play with us, um, in Istanbul, they played the lat, they played Shofukan, one of our songs with us for the encore. And it was like one of the heaviest musical moments I've, I've ever been a wow. part of. We, we wow. actually, the band, the band dropped out and it was just these like 14 people playing this, you know, incredibly resonant, beautiful, rich instrument and the crowd singing. So wow. at, at a certain point it was just Turks making music, you know, <laughs> it was our tune and it was, it was, it was, a, it was a, I would still probably say it was the best night of my life. You know, after the wow. game, we, wow. we, we, we were <laughs> after the show, you know, they invited us to dinner and we went to this restaurant that was run by a friend of theirs. And there were like 25 of us at this long table eating meza, which are like Turkish tapas yeah. and mm. drinking um, this wonderful beverage called raka, which is like a, an anise flavored liquor that you actually drink with dinner and yes. later also. And, um, and we were having this great time. And then afterwards they were like, we can give you, you know, drum lessons now, if you want, it's like, now it's like two in the morning, you know, <laughs> we have, we have a practice space. So like the, you know, the whole band went with them. I went with one of the other guys in the ensemble who's a luthier and he's like, we make guitars and ouds and stuff. You want to come over to our shop? And we're like, yeah. So me and a couple other people went over there. The other half of the band is, you know, over at the practice space, you know, we're having a great time hanging out, playing, jamming, whatever. And then we went over at like 5 a.m. We went over to the to the practice space. The whole band is there. Each of them has a member of the percussion ensemble teaching them the drum. Everybody's hanging, you know. And uh, and then everyone's like, we're hungry. So the leader of this ensemble, Tarek Aslan, he called this kebab shop that's like one of the best ones in Istanbul and and they opened up and they put these tables out in the street for us at 5:30 in the morning and we uh and we had like this unbelievable meal and then at like you know 6:32 <laughs> somebody's like wait a minute wasn't our lobby call 5 minutes ago to fly to Brazil <laughs> And we were like, oh my God, it's 6.30. Because, you know, for us, it was still like, it was still last night. It was still the gig. It wasn't wasn't tomorrow yet, you know? So we like, you know, gave hugs to everybody and we sprinted to the hotel. Our tour manager, Rosanna, who's from London, you know, was just in in, in the lobby with smoke coming out of her ears. You know, (laughs) we're like, we're sorry, we're sorry. We're we're running up to get our bag. We all, and then we got on a flight and flew to Brazil from Turkey and, and went straight to a gig and played. <laughs> wow. And it was like, it was, it was, it was such a, like one of those 24 hours that you're it like feels like an instant feels also like a lifetime and your body. Yes. Really yeah. Happy. You're like, did that really happen? Yeah. Yeah. And so, so sorry that I'm, I'm talking so much. So that night and, and those people particularly inspired me to go back and, and start learning this instrument because I hadn't really, 
in, in, uh, hadn't really tried to learn anything new since playing bass and guitar as a kid, you know? And, yes. and so I was yeah. like, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to just go and learn. So I spent a week there and then I, and then the next year I went, I lived there for like two months and was taking lessons every day. Um, and, and then, but while I was there learning that instrument, then I like got into oud. So I started learning that. And then I was right. going to these classes on Thursday nights, learning this percussion instrument that's called uh, Dahola, which is like a big ceramic darbuka with a goatskin head. And this sound just like, kind of like, you know, lured me in. And, and so I started studying that. So I've been going, I've been going to Turkey like four or five times a year since then to study both of, well, I guess all three of those instruments. And then it's just become a like, Oh, now I want to learn this. And, and uh, so now I have like too many instruments uh, <laughs> and, and, and I suck too much at each of them. So I'm trying to use yeah. the quarantine to, to remedy that I've, i mean i've been told by numerous people that istanbul is their their favorite place i've yet to go but it it's sounds like city in the world yeah it's yeah, a madness. yeah yeah people have told me that i mean i i imagine if you're not if you're not like family after a, a gig like that then i don't know what will bring you together that sounds like quite an amazing experience yeah and that curiosity and that that sort of willingness to to try new things it's 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 very inspiring i mean i hope i hope you realize that's you know there's there's legions of musicians millions of musicians around the world and they yeah you know, it's it's a very um inspiring example to be setting to to sort of not not stay rigid in in one thing you know you're you're constant constantly curious to be searching out new new forms and new rhythms and things and that that's what keeps snarky puppy moving forward and and staying fresh um, uh, and bacante you know um yeah i mean i think it's it's yeah i mean there's a lot of you know, it's all about time, right? It's like, there's a lot of ways we can spend our time. And, um, I, I definitely recognize that, that, you know, it's important to promote yourself and market yourself and be active on social media. But at a certain point it wore me out. And like a a year and a half ago, I just stopped. I deleted all my social media apps and, you know, and we still have pages and I still contribute to them, but, um, you know, and it's funny actually, because I've really noticed a, a significant drop in, um, in like, I don't know what the word would be, maybe like attention or engagement right. in, in a lot of ways, because I was running the, those pages with my voice for, you know, 14 years or something. Yes. But at a certain point I was like, you know what? I know the band is going to probably take a publicity hit for this, but I just, I need to learn shit. Yes. <laughs> like I, yeah. I hate my phone and I really need, I need this, you know, I, I need, uh, I need to keep growing these interests in myself. I don't want to get accustomed to being inspired by something and wanting to develop that thing and and then just not doing it and that becoming a habit. And, yep. um, and I really yep. love the process of just like, just getting your butt kicked, man. Like get going, yeah. you know, like this, get the Gimbri, this Ganawa bass that I was talking about. You know, I have a teacher who's from Morocco and we do FaceTime lessons every like three or four days now. And, you know, I told him just like, don't teach me anything that a Ganawa master has not played in the past. I don't want to learn anything new. I don't I like, I want you to teach me like the hardcore purist old school stuff, you know, because me as an American, it's yeah. going to be like, I don't have a, I don't have a tradition. I don't have like a 900 or 3000 year old musical tradition in my country. So it, it, you know, and it's the nature of American musicians. I think. To and that like, goes oh, back. Yeah. That goes back to you, you know, throwing yourself in the deep end with RC and the Grits, Erica Badu's band, back in yeah. the day. 
Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just one of those things of like, you know, when you hear something new that moves you, you can say, well, I love that, but I'll never be able to do it. Or you can say, I love yeah. that. And, I, and I'm, and I'm willing to put myself through the pain, you know, and, and, and the torturous, but also exhilarating journey of like starting from zero at something, whether it's a new instrument or a new style of music or a new community or whatever, you know, because growing hurts and it's always very humbling. You know, I, I've, yeah. I've learned from practicing just how bad certain fundamentals of my musicianship are that I was just able to get away with for sure. years because people were covering them up on stage or because my role in a certain band didn't require that skill. And just like being like, wow, I really actually just suck at music in very oh, fundamental ways. No, <laughs> seriously. Like I'm not, I really mean that. There's other ways, you know, I'm good at music in other ways. If you want to good, I mean, whatever, whatever that means, but you know what I mean? I, I have certain skills, but there are certain fundamental ones that I don't. And these instruments have really put that under the microscope. And it's fun. It's fun having a teacher tell you, like, what you just played is complete bull. Yeah. Like, yeah. don't ever do that again. Do it like this. And it's great. It's like, yeah, you know, I mean, it's it starts to become addictive, actually. So yeah. <laughs> that's, that's great. I, I mean, I do, I do think you're talking about the difference of, of like an instrument and actual music. And I, and I, I would say I'm, I will not let, listen to you tell me that you're not a good bass player. I won't accept that. So let's it not let's let's, let's not. That let's... depends. <laughs> <laughs> put, me on, put, put me on a gig with like the, you know the chick korea electric band yeah you know, okay and, man and, and and then after that show tell me if you think i'm a good bass player because that okay but a, but back to back to like back to like what's good i mean i'm sure i'm sure you could watch somebody play a couple of chords around for a few minutes uh, and not do anything crazy and say that they're good so I, i'm gonna leave that there you're freaking okay. good so stop it uh, but let, 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 let's let's um let's talk about i want to talk about something else for a minute because um it, you were talking about deleting your social media accounts or, or like not engaging yeah. as much and, and getting your head back and it's something i think about um often and i think it's important and, and all that but i was i would like to talk to you about the the label um and and how that became a thing and I, I, there must have been a point you, you keep talking about about 10 10 or 12 years i mean you were you were the one kind of driving force in all elements when you took a step back from that because you could what what was your role in the creation of the label and and how how involved are you in the label to now well yeah i mean the label started with a snarky puppy record called ground up and i think that came out in like 2012 or 13 or something uh maybe 2011 2011 i think um and the idea behind the label was that, um, okay, Spotify is becoming a thing. People are starting to not sell records anymore. Um, there are a lot of really wonderful artists in New York and beyond, you know, but in our community that were not having a lot of success and we're very frustrated. And we thought, well, you know, now's the worst time in history to start a record label. So we should probably do it, <laughs> you know, and, 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 you know, the goal was not really to sell music, but it was to capitalize on the fact that Snarky Puppy was beginning to accumulate a global audience. And we wanted to kind of like redirect that audience towards artists that we believed in, you know, um, you feel, I don't know. I mean, I felt in a way I felt almost like guilty. I was like, this artist is so much better than Snarky Puppy. Why is no one listening to them? So we would just use ground up this label, quote unquote label. We'd be releasing records, but really it's about creating a community 
that our community of listeners could kind of like, you know, huddle around. Um, yes. and, it, and, it, and that has always worked well. You know, we've definitely had ups and downs with the label um, in terms of, you know, financial success or, or uh, you know, the way in which it, it, it's been run. But, um, but it's always been there. And I think it's always been supporting these kind of underrecognized artists. And recently, a year and a half ago, we, we made a change and, and um, hired a really wonderful uh, uh, kind of label, Big Cheese, named uh, Eric Lenz, who also works at CSAC, which is a PRO in the United States, a performing rights organization like ASCAP or BMI. And, um, and we've been trying to kind of like uh, just really rev it back up again. Uh, and, one, and a big part of that has been the Ground Up Music Festival. So we started our own music festival in Miami. Yes. With was exact- that a fe- was did that go ahead this year? It did. Yeah, it was just before COVID. I mean, it, it, was, it was February, on, February, right? February yeah. 12, 12, 13, 14. So good I mean, timing. Yeah, I mean, now <laughs> in in retrospect, you know, uh, knowing that the disease was in the U.S. like at the end of last year or something, uh, you know, I, now yeah. I feel like, oh, we shouldn't have done it. But at that, of course, nobody nobody knew. At that time. You want to know, yeah. Um, but uh, but the festival has the same goal of the, as the label. You know, our 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 line of thought is like, okay, you know, every festival books, you know, big name artists who have a big draw. Let's book amazing artists who don't have a big draw, and let's really yes. build build the festival around that idea that when you come here as a listener, you are coming to be surprised. You're not coming with expectations of, of what you're going to see, you're coming with no expectations. And, and um, other than the expectation that everything you're going to see is going to be cool or interesting. And uh, I'm really into that model because I, I don't know a lot of, fe- I'm sure there are plenty, but I, I don't know of many festivals that kind of have that as their thing. I think of it as, you know, almost like a, a where I would like to get is like a blind dinner. I don't know if you know what those are, but yes. like people, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. People go into a dark room and they eat food without being told what it is. Yes. And, And that's, I would love for the festival in the next five years to become one that we don't even announce who's performing and that people just come. It sells out before you announce the lineup. Right, exactly. And and, and the first first year it sells out in advance, the next year we're going to do it blind. Um, And it's been going great. It's been growing every year. We've done four editions now. and, um, And the whole ground up thing, whether it's the label or the festival, is just about like, there are a lot of people in the world who want to hear cool, interesting different music and there aren't really a lot of like you know uh like curation hubs yes for them as there are for people who like mainstream music you can turn on the radio and hear the same song in every country in the world you can look at the top 10 you know mtv whatever if mtv still exists um you know and and we wanted we want to create something else you know we want to create a place for uh that empowers lesser known but but very talented artists. So I stepped away from the label for a while, just like basically only doing A&R, only picking what artists would release albums. Um, you still do, are you still doing that? I always have been. Yeah. And, um, but, uh, you know, with Eric coming in, um, to like run it and then, um, and actually, uh, a, a girl named Carol Fontenot and, um, Carol worked for a, uh, uh, a French, a, like the biggest French jazz radio station for a while so she came on board as well sure. and um and they've been really doing a fantastic job and, and and i've kind of put myself back in it over since the quarantine just to um just to have kind of more hands on deck 
and uh you know because now i'm obviously not on tour so um but the plan is really for me to keep a minimal role in it because they're much better at running it than i ever was and and, and i personally would rather spend my time practicing gimbri but uh, <laughs> yeah, 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 right. well we wish ground up all the all the future success and uh, we hope the ground up festival goes ahead next february we alex and i were actually um looking we were programming a, a festival for this summer for a first ever one in london and oh, sadly uh, sadly so. it's looking like it's not going to happen now um but uh we hope to be back <laughs> next year True. but uh yeah not not an easy thing to uh well i mean talking of the lockdown we're recording this in, in the middle of it and uh and you're in spain and obviously um have have been through eight weeks i think you were saying we're we're into week six now um let's talk a little bit about the um the, the series of online stuff you've been doing the, the master classes i mean i've got to say you were really quick off the mark you were sort of mid-march you did you did the first one um do you want to talk a little bit about that and why it was why you were so keen to do that yeah 20th of march was your first one <laughs> sure yeah i mean you know uh, the band is really into educating you know and um and all of the different personalities kind of um have different perspectives and and different strengths and and it's i think it's really wonderful to hear people's perspectives i've watched a little bit if not all of every single one and i've learned so much from these people that i've spent 16 years with i figured i knew everything that you know i i was aware of everything that they knew and every night i'm proven wrong and it's been really cool yes. um to check that out uh so what we do is basically we we started nightly so we were doing seven a week for multiple weeks and now we're down to four a week um but basically each night a member of the band hosts a one hour to 90 minute live masterclass via the platform crowdcast um uh on whatever they want cast yeah crowdcast.io yeah slash snarky puppy um so we uh yeah, whether it's about composition or improvisation or production or song, you know, whatever, um, grooving, improving your time, warm up exercises, um, lots of different stuff. Uh, and it started with just the band members and that was going really wonderfully. Um, and then we started involving people from outside of the band. So it would be like a band member with a special guest. So we've had Victor Wooten, David Crosby, Antonio Sanchez, Chris Potter, Eric Harland, um, this week, uh, oh, Laura Mvula last night, a fellow Brit. Uh, uh, this week, I think coming up, we're going to have Corey Henry and, um, uh, oh, I can't remember. There's so many happening. It says you're doing Kato Ogawa, Jamie Haddad. You're doing yeah. a one on production and Justin That's Stanton. Right. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot going on. So, um, yeah, absolutely. So, so you know, what I've found with this thing that's been so cool is, you know, musicians are rightfully worried about their future. Um, yes. And we initially launched it to try to put some food on the plates of our band members who were out of work. Um, and it's done a great job of doing that. But, you know, what I've found more than anything is it's it, it, it's been just kind of comforting, not just for us to be able to interact with human beings and share music, but for the people there coming to the classes, just like knowing that we're going to be there every night or, you know, every other night um, and something that they can kind of, you know, we, even if they're not really paying attention, just that we're there with them, 
you know, as they go through this bizarre and unprecedented moment for our generation. Um, and, and we've been doing like, uh, you know, recognizing that musicians are not the only people who are suffering. We just do a minimum $1 donation. So Great. you can really pay $1 and hear David Crosby talk about how to write a song, or you can, as we recommend play, pay more than 10 bucks. Um, but you know, the bottom line is people are suffering in different ways. And if, if someone doesn't have money right now, cause they're out of work, it, it shouldn't mean that they don't have access to what we have to offer. So it's been, it's been very cool. That's, that's great. And, and it's, it's, it's really cool to know that, um, you know, all the musicians are kind of going to each other's and, and checking each other out because that kind of, you know, reinforces the whole, the whole community and the, and the whole sharing of, of, of art, which is what it's all about. I told Nick earlier on the show, like I, Charlie Hunter's been doing loads of stuff and he, yeah. he held this zoom thing that I went in and I saw Bob Lanzetti and like loads of, I think Ben Lacey might've been in there as well. There's mm-hmm. like loads of, I kept looking at the names popping in and I was like, oh, I've heard that guy play. Oh, I've seen that person play. And Oh, I know mm-hmm. her. And it was, it, it was really, um, I, I find it heartwarming anyway. Cause yeah, this lockdown can be a bit, a bit of a drag. <laughs> yeah, yeah and i think i think we have to applaud the the curation element of it as well like every every master class has been thought about you know um whether it's you doing one on production or it's uh nate and Sput doing a a, a rhythm yeah. section thing or elements that lead to improvisational freedom or lauren vula talking about composition you know it's 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 very curated so you know we just have to big up that it's it's definitely oh, uh, the way forward. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm going to come to your production one. You know. Uh oh. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll I'll mute the mic. He's going to grill you. Yeah. 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 Don't worry. You won't learn anything. You'll be fine. Oh, I know everything already. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's uh, no. I can't wait. I can't wait. Uh, I I'm conscious of your time. Um, sh- shall we Shall we play a little bit more music before you go? Let's hear another uh, another bit of music. We we have to ask why you put in. We suspect we know why you put this in. Um, I mean, obviously you love the track, but it's the Chucky Booker track. Oh man! So yeah, yeah. So I included in this playlist that you asked me for. I included like four, I think, or something songs th- that are not traditional. You know, I included some some Turkish music using yeah. this, the drum that I was telling you about, the dahola, um, and uh, and I included some Ganawa music. Um, but I, I included these modern songs, you know, contemporary songs, like over the last 40 years or whatever, uh, because this quarantine, actually, what I've been spending the majority of my day doing is <laughs> is writing, finally writing and, and demoing out like a solo, my solo record that I've never made, um, like vocal with lyrics, like a pop. It's actually a pop. Hey. Yeah, sure. We wanted to ask you about that. Actually. Yeah. Um, and uh Actually, it's funny, the document that, that I have all my notes in and song ideas, it's called Solo ML Solo Album 2015. <laughs> so that gives you an idea of, <laughs> of my, my, in, my real talent as a procrastinator. Well, yeah, um, you've been busy. Well, yeah, but I mean, that's, uh, it's, it's an excuse for for the week i mean it, it's um, not it's it's not as good as when i was speaking to a musician and and i said did you get the document he said yes i filed it in the folder called bullshit and lies i love that <laughs> so i i think you know being a few years behind the mark be, being a few years behind the mark while okay. you've been touring and recording other people i don't think that's a problem okay well i appreciate your support guys um it's it's yeah it's been it's been 
Yeah, I mean, I've wanted to do it for a long time, and then this thing happened, and I came to my girlfriend's place here. You know, we're just in this tiny apartment. She's an artist, so she's drawing in the in the kitchen where she prefers to draw. Um, and then she's like, just take the living room, you know? So I have this little tiny setup that I'm sitting in now in the corner of the living room with just like an interface and two microphones and really just a MIDI controller for the majority of the quarantine. And then I ordered some instruments, um, that came in. And so now I'm able to like really do things in a better way. But, uh, yeah, so I've just been like, you know, doing my practice routine in the morning and then, uh, and then songwriting all day. Um, and, uh, like I said, it's kind of like a weird pop, it's pop, it's definitely pop, you know, it's choruses with hooks and, and lyrics and stuff, but it's kind of weird, of course, because I, I, I guess, cause I'm weird. And the, uh, you know, the reason why I gave you this Chucky Booker tune or, or and the other songs is because for me, I've always just been fascinated at this ability of a person to write a song that is like super deep musically and clever you know, but also simple enough and like accessible enough for you to groove with it and get it stuck in your head and sing along with it without having to have a, you know, a, a you know, a postgraduate degree in, in composition or something, you know? And yeah. so there are a lot of artists that like we really sleep on as being, you know, you're just like, oh yeah, that's just like a pop art or an R&B artist, what, what, like just your average, whatever. But really, you know, I mean, one of those things that I put on the list is like Hall and Oates. Like Hall and Oates, like when you really start getting under the hood of those songs, it's like, wow, they're modulating from the verse to the pre-chorus yeah. to the, they're all, it's like every section's in a different key. They're moving between major and minor. Like the, the, the voicings are super hip and clever and, and. Um, so, so what I've been listening to quite a bit during the quarantine has been like this kind of genre, if you want to call it that, of like really deep, but super infectious pop music to kind of inspire me and push me in that direction as I'm trying to write things that, uh, that, that are, that, that, you know, hook you in that sit in that earworms, if you will, you know? Oh, I can't wait to hear, um, I can't wait to hear that. Well, it'll probably suck, but I mean, at least I'll, I will have gotten it done. You know, that's the, that's You'll the sell two of them anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh well, yeah. My mom. And then one, another one that my mom buys for one of her friends. But... Sorry, three mate. You, 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 <laughs> I said between the two of us, we've been to all the, Lon you know, all the London gig. We went to, we went to Holland to see you with the, with the orchestra. We did. Man. We, we went to the silver gig and oh, wow. I, I saw you in New Orleans during the jazz festival. Okay. So yeah, we, we, we covered Recovered. Okay, well, well, I hope not this quite pop, stalker, but right, yeah. I hope this <laughs> the pop record doesn't scare you off off of us for for uh, for all time to come. We'll see. No, no, we'll see no, 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 no. What is love? Love is universal. Thank you, Michael, for coming on. Uh, thank you, Soho Radio. Thank you, Nick. Um, unless anybody, this is goodbye for me. Unless anybody else has something else to say. No, I just appreciate y'all having me on, and um, I'm glad y'all are doing this. I think it's important that during this funky, like funky in the not in like the Parliament way, like funky in like a tomato that's been in your fridge for nine months or something kind of way, in this funky, weird, like you know, and kind of scary uncertain time it's nice 
to see that so many people are creating things and, and, and making efforts to connect. And I appreciate you all doing what you're doing to do that and Tallulah and, uh, and everybody at Soho radio and, and, uh, you know, just that we use this opportunity, use this weird time as an opportunity to be creative and, and to, um, try to make the most out of whatever circumstances we're in. Thank you so much, Michael. And, um, if anyone's listening to this and they want to, uh, tune into one of the snarky puppy masterclasses or live streams you just have to go to what was the software again crowdcast.io slash snarky puppy thank you we're gonna leave you with uh, another of michael's tracks it's a milton nascimento one michael did you want to quickly say uh, what this track means to you or the artist what he means to you yeah i mean milton nascimento is one of those you know artists that I, that really fits into that that category that I was talking about earlier, like a person with the unique ability to write incredibly deep and musically stimulating um, pop songs that people latch onto and sing along with in the tens of thousands and um, at concerts, you know, and, uh, and this tune is from uh, a record uh, called corner club that um, from like 1972 or something. And it was just an incredible combination of like, you know, his kind of Minishadai roots and, and Brazilian music mixed with all the influences of like, you know, Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young and the, the Beatles and all this kind of stuff that was, uh, that had just happened or was happening. And uh, I think it's beautifully balanced. This whole, this whole record and this track is a great example of it. Excellent. Thanks again. And we'll see you next time. Thanks y'all. Você